Welcome to the Real Life Show Living with a Chronic Illness. We are your hosts, Cassie and Chelsea. I'm Cassie, a single mom living with a chronic illness who is extremely passionate about living a full and happy life. And I'm Chelsea, a mindset coach that has a passion for helping people learn to put themselves first and be the best version of themselves each and every day. We came together to create Spoonies Unite, an uplifting community that offers resources, guidance, and support so you can live your best life while giving you the space to be yourself, be heard, and feel understood. We hope that by providing education from experts, we help Spoonies and their loved ones thrive. This show is not only for those who live with a chronic illness, but their friends, family, spouses, and just anyone else existing on the earth. Our goal is to normalizing having a chronic illness by sharing the real stories with real people and show the world how relatable those everyday struggles can be. There's a little something in here for everyone. And of course, thank you to our patrons for your continued support making this possible. If you love our show and want to get some extra goodies, go to patreon.com slash the real spoonies unite. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of The Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. Today, we are so excited to be interviewing Leah Robilato, who has a master's in child and adolescent psychology. She is the founder and CEO of the Food Allergy Institute. Leah specializes in empowering educators, parents, and children to overcome the psychological impact of and implement practical solutions for managing life-threatening chronic illnesses. Leah has trained thousands of clients on how to keep food allergic individuals safe and included in everyday activities at educational institutions, in restaurants, at work, and while traveling. Leah's extensive background in food allergies includes year, years working in patient advocacy at a nonprofit food allergy research and education, which is a national organization, rewriting food policy for top schools in Atlanta, and being a founding member of the Training Epinephrine Administrators in Medication Coalition, aka team, in Washington, D.C., Her expertise has been featured in media outlets, including WebMD, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Killer Food Allergy Podcast, and Scary Mommy. She lives in Atlanta with her husband and two sons, one of whom was diagnosed with eight life-threatening food allergies when he was just six months old. Cassie and I really enjoy talking to Leah. She has a wealth of knowledge of how to not only keep individuals with chronic illnesses safe and taken care of, but also how to support yourself as a caretaker. She talks a lot about dealing with kind of this constant anxiety, constant vigilance that you have to go through trying to keep your loved ones safe, how to practice self-care, how to minimize burnout, and how to just take the pressure off of yourself and kind of bring down those high standards in your life. Like you don't have to clean your house all the time. It doesn't have to be spotless. So that way you can live a better life and better support those that you love. We really hope you enjoy our conversation with her. She's certainly a gem. And listen right to the end because we're so excited that she offers something special to our listeners. So stay mm-hmm. tuned and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of The Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. Today, we have another special guest, Leah Robolito. 
She is an amazing expert on food allergies, and she has some really great stuff to talk to you about today. Thank you so much for joining us, Leah. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show, so I'm just bubbling. Oh, thank you so much. So Leah, will you tell our listeners a little bit about you, your experience, and what has got you to where you are today? So it's a really long story, and since we probably only be here about an hour, I'm going to take up three hours of your life. But so probably like many of you, I was a mom. Um, I came to motherhood through adoption um, and I have two great children. My oldest son is 10 and my youngest is now eight. My oldest has 13 allergies. All of them are anaphylaxis. Eight of them are food. Um, When we adopted him, he was six months old and he was just the cutest baby you've ever seen. Um, But I think most moms probably say that. And we knew he was allergic to milk. And the third day he was home with us, I gave him smushed up avocado. I mean, he was six months old. He was sitting up, he had teeth and he stopped breathing. Um, And so as you can imagine, as a first time mom, how horrific that was. I don't remember a lot of those moments other than sort of like blackness coming over me and screaming. Um, Very fortunately, my husband quickly called 911 an ambulance happened to be around the corner. They were about to get out of the rig to grab lunch and was at our house in less than a minute. Oh my gosh. Gave my son an injection of epinephrine and off to the um, trauma center. And we lived in Houston at the time. So we were lucky to be amongst one of the best hospital systems in the world. And we were there for two weeks. And turned out after much, many testing, he had lots of allergies. He actually had... Um, several severe um, asthma and some other, lots of issues going on. And so now we live with the allergies I listed, the eight food allergies, as well as asthma, EOE, which is Cenophil esophagellitis, which I can't believe I finally said that right, um, eczema, and um, currently we're dealing with a neurological issue. Um, so to make a long story short, I was still working in the corporate America I was so stressed out. I was, you know, living on coffee and wine, generally acceptable when it was, you know, time to have wine. I was a hundred pounds soaking wet and I'm not a big person, but a hundred pounds is still way too skinny. Um, And one day I was sitting in an executive meeting. I was the only female executive in the whole company and had ever had the whole company ever had a female executive. And I got that nightmare call that every parent, you know, is afraid of that my son was in an ambulance. And as any human would do, I ran out of the office and I heard trailing out of me one of my colleagues say, oh, another mom vacation. And my stomach was just in knots. And, you know, really what I wanted to say to that guy is not something I'm going to say on public airways. And so three days later, I came back to work and I was, you know, I had been with my son in the ICU and it was, you know, stress. And I didn't know what to do. I ended up leaving that job and leaving corporate America. I couldn't do it anymore. I looked high and low for someone to tell me how to do this, how to be a successful, you know, corporate employee at a career that I had worked incredibly hard to build. You know, what I did was not easy being a female executive in an industry that was not female friendly or really what was at the time, you know, and then have two small children Um, You know, I didn't want my younger son feeling slighted and I felt like he was getting just sort of pushed to the side quite a bit, um, be a, you know, a fun, interesting wife and friend. And really, I was 
crying at the sink, washing dishes. I had like an ulcer in my stomach and I thought quitting my job would be great, except for I was completely unfulfilled. I was bored as a stay-at-home mom, which isn't just, you know, slight stay-at-home moms. That's actually one of the hardest things I think there is to do. But I was miserable and I was depressed and I was anxious and scared all the time. I didn't know how to make sure my son was safe and included at school and happy and healthy and how I could be safe and happy and healthy and everyone in my family. And so I did what any rational person would do is go back to graduate school. Um, (laughs) So I got my master's in psychology and I really spent three years studying the impact that chronic illness has on families, not just the patient, but the entire sort of social system. And during that time, I worked for food allergy research and education to really learn the ins and outs of the medical as well as the psychological impact. And during that time, I got to go around the country and talk to schools and families and practitioners and really learn what other people's experiences was, why I conducted my own research and reading and things like that. So I became the expert I so desperately needed at that time in my life. And it's Then I started my own company about a year ago to be on this mission now. I don't want anyone else feeling the way I felt. It was so isolating um, and just, it was so hard. And I just, my mission now is to go out and help every single person I can. That's so beautiful. And I know Cassie and I really appreciate the work that you're doing because one of our goals is to create resources and support for not only those individuals with chronic illnesses, but everyone impacted from that diagnosis too, because it's not just the person that has it themselves, it's their family, it's their friends. And it's a ripple effect. It, yeah, it really is. Employers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as an employer, what I, what I find a lot about employers is they don't understand that either if you're a parent of a chronically ill child or someone with a chronic illness, it doesn't make you less of an employee. It's actually sometimes makes you more valuable because you will give it your all. You may not have the 12 hours a day to be sitting at your desk, which I feel like COVID has taught us that no one needs to be in the office 12 hours a day. Um, uh, My husband used to travel like every other week and now our guest room is his office, um, which is just a whole new dynamic for everyone. When you are at your office or when you're doing your work, you are so committed to getting that work done because you know your life can change on a dime. And so they will give you their all and give you their best work, maybe in five hours versus eight, where someone will spend those eight hours and four of them, they're going to be talking about the game or, you know, the real housewives of whatever. But you're going to get really quality, dedicated work from those people who know they have to prioritize. I 100% agree with that because like, being chronically ill and feeling uh, the fear of being unreliable, mm-hmm. I like show up fully when I'm there because, yeah, exactly. I like really care that people know that I'm reliable and dependable and that I'm going to do a really good job so that if there are those times when my health is kind of like on the downslope, they know that that's not me, I say right. in quotes, um, so that they'll almost like give me a break or at least believe me when I say like, I can't do this right now or I can't show up. And so I completely agree with you. And I really um, appreciate that you are bringing that up Mm -hmm. and recognizing that and talking about that. um, Because I think that the world needs to know that about the chronically ill or uh, family of chronically ill. 
yeah, I mean, we're going to be there. We're going to, you know, give it all our all every second we can. When I had to tell, you know, when I was an employee, um, when I had to say, look, I have to leave, I had to leave, or I cannot be there right now. It wasn't that I was, you know, sitting home watching Netflix or getting my nails done. Um, it was that I was doing something that was critically important to my family. Um, you know, and then another challenge, I think, in my own life, and I think a lot of families have the same, and, you know, from my research, they do, is when you have a chronically ill person in your family and it's a child, one person has to do the majority of the doctor's appointments because there's a continuation of care. So if you're going to all the doctor's appointments, you can have that relationship and you have the sort of general knowledge. And yes, you want to communicate that with your co-parent, but if one's going to one, one's going to another back and forth, you don't build that sort of rapport. You don't build that communication. And so that can be really hard on one person's career if they do not have an employer that's understanding. It's just really important for employers to understand that and then just be also aware of not overcommitting as the the caretaker, um, because that's when we get into burnout. Because you've experienced this and you've done so much research, what advice do you have for caretakers to not reach that level of burnout so they can still show up and take care of their loved ones and take care of themselves and just help keep daily life going? So you are an important part of the train. So one one example I like to give to parents and caretakers um, and if you haven't listened to the episode that you guys did on self-care, I highly recommend it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Is if you have a train and the engine is going and going and going and going and going until it burns out, the rest of the train cannot go. That Those goods, those services that are in that train, those passengers are not going to get to their final destination. So if you were like me, you were living waking up in the morning and downing coffee all day, maybe grabbing some lunch and then drinking wine to go to sleep, you are not well. If you are feeling anxious and tired, you are snapping more than you want to. And I trust me during this time, and hopefully by the time this airs, we might be having a little bit of a break and being able to leave our houses more safely. Um, But if you are snapping at people more, if you just feel overwhelmed, you might be burned out. Or let's prevent even getting to that point of burnout. Um, So I really recommend if you feel like you can't let go of stuff, trust me, you can. There's always going to be someone who can take up the slack, who can be that volunteer at the school. If you step away from volunteering at, say, your kid's school or at a local charity and you're like, well, who else is going to do it? Trust me, they will find someone. If you feel like your house has to be perfect, one of the things I had put on myself was having this immaculate house. When I was growing up, my house was always perfect. My mother vacuumed every day. Everything was dust-free. And I had set that bar for myself. And I was doing, I was up at one o'clock in the morning cleaning my house. Why? Mm -hmm. Our house needed to be clean and safe and free of allergens. But there was no reason to be doing laundry the second it hit the hamper or, you know, because I live with three boys, the second it hit the floor, mm-hmm. uh, there's no reason. I finally hired a cleaning, you know, someone to help me clean the house. And so what if there was Legos on the floor? There's now Legos in every room of my house. Despite me nagging and begging and cleaning, let some things go. Lower your standards. Take 10 minutes every day. I don't care what you do, but you do it alone. 
you can sit in the silence, you can listen to music. I love the Calm app and I really feel like they should start paying me at this point I talk about this. <laughs> um, but I love the Calm app. Um, when I go to sleep, I listen to some mantras on YouTube um, just to sort of put some positivity. Yes, I know you do that mm-hmm. too. Um, just to put some positive sort of enforcement in my brain. So I'm not going to bed with negative thoughts or something like, oh, I didn't get this done or I didn't get that done. Life is not perfect. Um, you know, I really like to talk about this one client I have and she knows I talk about her all the time. She's okay with it. Her life looked great. And I had the similar issue. Her, if you look at her Instagram and her Facebook, she had beautiful children, a beautiful husband. She's beautiful. Their clothes were always like color coordinated. She was always showing the crafts and things she did with her kids on the weekends. And she had a very successful job. Um, you know, she worked locally. She was an artisan locally. She was miserable. And so when she first came to me, she said, well, I said, what do you do in the morning? First thing she's like, well, I take a shower and I cry in the shower just to get that done. Oh my gosh. Oh, dang. oh no. That's a way to start the day. Right. So if you're starting your day crying to get it out of the way, there might need to be some changes. So the first thing I want everyone to think of is write everything you do for other people. Everything. Write it down. Now write everything you do for yourself. Just for you. Not that you, you and like maintenance, it's not like hygiene, brushing your teeth, it doesn't count. Because um, you'd be amazed when I do this exercise with clients, how often I brush my hair, I brush my teeth, I wash my face. No, that's hygiene. Being clean. That's and the basic of the basic. <laughs> yeah, doesn't count. Um, and so a lot of clients, I'll say, you know, let's start with 10 minutes. If you like to knit, if you like to read, if you like to listen to books on tape, if you like to exercise, if you like to sit in your room and eat cookies, it may not be the best habit, but whatever it is, do it. And especially in this time of, you know, we're kind of stuck at home, it's become more important. Myself, I really like to exercise. Um, my husband makes fun of me that no one's chasing me. Like, where, where are you going? Why are you running? <laughs> if it makes you feel good, run all you want. Mm-hmm. First of all, our children are chasing me. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so no matter what, I exercise every single day. I mean, you know, I might have a headache or something, but every day. If it's, if I feel like, you know, I have a cold or I have a headache or something, it may be just stretching every single day. If it's 10 minutes and I just still am not feeling it, I'll stop. But I start with 10 minutes and I really want everyone to spend a minimum of a half an hour, but to start with 10 minutes. That's so super important. Um, and I'm so glad that you mentioned our self-care episode because Chelsea really helped me to um, shift my perspective on self-care even the things like she, it really helped. I watched her talking one time doing a talk and she said, you know, doing your laundry can be self-care because then you are setting yourself up for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. And so you're so right that there's like the hygiene aspect, which, you know, yes, washing your face and stuff is like just natural things that we should do for ourselves. Um, but it was really helpful for her to shift that perspective of like, okay, wait, yeah, if I take the time for myself right now to like turn on Grey's Anatomy and put away my clothes, I am not only just like enjoying watching a little bit of this show, but then this stuff is put away and I'm getting set up better for the rest of the week. 
And I talked in another episode about one of the things that I found was the only way that I could truly like shut off and rest for myself was reading because mm-hmm. you can't multitask when you're reading. Right. And so sometimes even throughout the day, if I haven't taken much time to do the things that I really want to do for me, then at night I make sure to still like open up my Kindle and read a book for at least 10 to 20 minutes just to quiet the mind. That's my time. I do love to read. Um, but I have to say that I've definitely gotten better about like taking time throughout the day to be like, no, I need to take care of me. I'm a better mom when I do it. I'm more present with my son. And then um, I'm a caregiver with my stepfather who's 90 and I show up better for him. I'm more present with him if I take the time for me. So it is really, really important. And as you were talking, it kind of made me think too, my, my mother was sick for six years before she passed away and really ill, mostly bedridden. And I was living at home at first. Um, and then I turned like 18 and stuff. And I was like, I need to get out of the house. And, but I actually found that me moving out, um, around 18 made me show up better for her when I came over, cause I came over every single day, still did majority of like the grocery shopping and the caretaking, but I showed up better being able to leave, you know, mm-hmm. at late at night and go and like do my thing and then come back in the morning. Um, so it really is important to take care of yourself and find what you need to do for yourself to be able to show up better for those around you. Exactly. And it's, you know, like I said, it's that train. If the train stops running, if you collapse, and I really feel like for myself, I was so stressed out. I was so worried about leaving my son with others um, and making sure my other son was not being sort of pushed to the side and that we were providing this healthy, happy lifestyle. And like I said, we had become a family through adoption. And when my son was placed in my arms by his birth mother, I promised her. I looked her in the eyes and I promised her he would have the best life. He would be loved. He would be safe. He would be educated. And I made this, you know, I spoke at her for like two solid minutes. All of these things I would provide for him because this young, young girl had given me her child. Mm -hmm. And I felt the, the, the grace that she had given me, the gift she had given me. And I took that very, and I do to this day, take that very seriously. And I felt like I was failing her and, some sort of spirit. And I just had put all this pressure on myself and it was truly myself that was doing it. And I really feel like I probably had kind of a nervous breakdown, but I was too busy to notice. And my husband wasn't doing it. I have a wonderfully supportive husband who, when I quit my big six figure job, he was sort of like, thank God. (sighs) Like, what do we need to do to be a better, healthy, happier family? Whatever you want we'll do it. He's, we need to move to a small house in the middle of nowhere. Fine. And I thought, well, if we do that, I'm going to die. So let's, yeah, right. You know? And so I know I also have the privilege of being able to have a supportive husband who can support us financially. So I was able to basically take three years off of having a salary, you know, and do this. And I know not everyone has that. So that's why I say, take the three minutes if you need, or take the 10 minutes. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but take the, the time to be present for whatever it is. Like you said, laundry, getting yourself set up for the week, whatever it is. I like to do my own nails. 
Um, I do too. I like to sit there and paint and dry. Um, they're actually short and unpainted now just because at home we do, like I said, have an immune compromised child and his immunologist told me to keep my nails short and unpainted to because of the COVID virus and keep all the, you know, so I can make sure they're clean. Oh, interesting. Keep the germs out. Um, and believe it or not, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That, would, that would bother me. Yeah. That would definitely bother me. Painting uh, my nails is a big self-care thing for me. Right. So I've had to sort of do that into other things. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I colored my own hair for the first time the other day. And that's an interesting, this is darker than shall we say usual. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I found something else to do. And a lot of people might consider that hygiene, but if you saw how much gray I was hiding under this brown hair, um, <laughs> you would know it was also important. At least you didn't like decide you needed bangs right now, you know? Yeah. yeah. I will say my mother cut her own hair yesterday and I FaceTimed them this morning and I noticed she did not come to the phone. That's so funny. So I'm interested to see what that looks like. I'm going to try later. But yeah, no, I'm not going to cut my own hair. <laughs> I'm just going to have really long hair. That's fair. One thing I really like that you were saying, Leah, is that you were putting a lot of the pressure on yourself because I think that that's a pattern that we see with a lot of women. And that's one that I've personally felt myself. I've struggled with perfectionism. I've kind of had that same situation of like, I want my house to look perfect. I want to do this. I want to do that. I have to do all these things. And it's just, it's not plausible. It's just, it's not possible really without having to bend over backwards. And as you were saying, clean at one o'clock in the morning. So what did you do to kind of move past that pressure that you were putting on yourself? So that way you could show up the way that you really wanted to. So I think I mentioned, I found myself crying at my sink. Like I had this job, I had decided, and I didn't just quit my job. I quit corporate America. Like that's it. My husband and I had this long discussion about, you know, what our life, what we wanted it to look like. And this was not it. It was not. And we had a wonderful nanny who I, you know, I'm still in contact to with this day, who was wonderful and smart and, you know, doing like preschool with our two-year-old and, you know, like just wonderful. But we we didn't work so hard to become a family for me to leave the house at 630 in the morning, to come home at six o'clock at night, to... And for my husband to be traveling and and him leaving, like, this is not what we work so hard for. So we had to really figure out what we wanted. And, you know, I said to him, I want to be a mother who's present. We want to be a mother who is not depressed. I don't want my kids to grow up looking at me snapping and yelling and screaming. And he said, well, why? Do and he said to me this so clearly. He said, well, why do you care if the house hasn't been vacuumed this week? I said, well, we can't live in like dust. Like I know you came from a fraternity house and that had <laughs> been like three years, but we can't get to that point. I said, well, why do you have to do it? Oh, right. Why do I have to do it? So we hired a cleaning person. Why did I have to be responsible for everything? And so as I went through graduate school, I really started researching the the, the self-pressure aspect. And it is, it's women. We do it to ourselves. No one else, my husband was not putting it on me. My friends would come over and not be like, well, I will be your friend because your house is immaculate and you have a wonderfully, you know, you have this great title at this great company. That's why I'm going to be your friend, not because you're kind and loving and supportive. Has anyone ever decided to be your friend? I want everyone out there to think about this because of your job title. And if that's true, 
you need better friends. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> so we really took some time to look at our life and it was not what we wanted. What we had was not what we wanted. And so as I researched all of this, it's such a self-continuing prophecy. Like, you know, you look at Instagram, you look at, you know, even like, so the Today Show or Good Morning America, you see these, you know, news anchors who seem to have it all together. And I would say really until more recently where they, you know, now say like, look, I am struggling. My house is a disaster. And, you know, um, you know, we see them from their homes and they're, you know, but their homes are still beautifully curated behind them. But where people start opening up more in sort of celebrity life that they deal with anxiety. Um, I think it's Carson Daly, who I recently saw opened up that he lives with sort of crushing anxiety and, you know, really dependent on his family for support and help and getting through this with some professional counseling. So it's, it's us, we're putting it on this modern society of having the perfect Instagram and Facebook and not letting our kids melt down in the grocery store. And, you know, everyone has to have a million extracurricular activities to be healthy and happy. And I'm worried about my kid getting into the Ivy League in kindergarten. Like, and one of the silver linings of all this COVID is I think we can see that our kids are perfectly happy. And, you know, yeah, we're all kind of stir crazy, but they can just play in the backyard. So what made that switch for me was really doing the research of why we're all like this. And we're all like this because we keep perpetuating this sort of stereotype. It's a sort of media self-awareness thing. And if we didn't have Instagram, so my grandmother died this past January, close to a hundred years old. And if we had the same pressure and anxiety levels now, as she did when she was our age, she would have been hospitalized in a mental institution. So if you look at our standard level of anxiety now versus the 1950s, we would have all been hospitalized. But we just consider this normal. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a mind shift. Mm-hmm. And if you really look at what you're doing, think about why you're doing it. Why are you working 15 hours a day? And a lot of what we're doing now is just because someone told us that's how it works. So really, it takes time. It takes effort. And I realize not everyone can sort of change on the dime. But think about those meetings you guys had in the coffee shops to change what you were doing and starting your company. And, you know, it's a lot about the why. And so I think about my why a lot. And why I started the Food Allergy Institute is because I remember the crushing anxiety that I was living with. And when I looked for help, I went to doctors, I went to psychiatrists, I went to psychologists, I went to life coaches. No one got it. No one understood what it was like to be living with a child who could eat or touch and then touch his mouth and stop breathing. And I had witnessed it at that point about four times. When he was six years old, we were in an airport and he touched a banister and then wiggled his first wiggly tooth. His heart stopped in the airport. So his brother, who was four, also witnessed his brother getting the AEDs, having CPR. The trauma that came from that is remarkable. No one could help me. No one could say, you experienced trauma. Your four-year-old experienced trauma. They were all like, oh, but he's fine. Yes, he's fine. I hate the word, it's fine. Like, it's fine. Yeah, no. he's fine. <laughs> back to normal. But what they didn't talk about is my four-year-old for months was sleeping in his brother's bed because he was terrified 
of what he yeah. saw. And so they were like, oh, but he's fine now. I'm like, um, no, well, he's not fine. He's terrified. And so it took a long time to me to realize, like, I have to help people. And that's why I started my company. My why is to help people not live the life I was living for so long. And so that there's children and teachers out there who can be inclusive and kind. My whole company leads with kindness to do that. That is, I mean, that is absolutely incredible. Firstly, like we 100% relate to you became what you needed because same, like it's been really hard to find support and understanding. And like, it has felt very lonely in the last four to five years at times. And ever since Chelsea and I started this endeavor, and even with our podcast or our in-person groups and what we have planned for the future, it is like, I have felt less alone and more connected to humanity and people in the last six months than I have in a very long time. So I really respect and appreciate you going out there and making what you needed um, to help other people. And I just cannot imagine like the feeling of multiple times going through that with your son. My son, when he was just under a year old, he probably was like 10 or 11 months old. He had a free brawl seizure. Oh, that's so terrifying. It was horrifying. And I have never forgotten it. He's, he's going to be 12 this year. So it was, you know, 11 years ago. And I was sitting on the terrace with my mom. My mom was an acupuncturist. So she was a doctor. She had her doctorate in that way. He had gone to my sister-in-law's for the morning. Um, when I was doing a little like part-time job at the time for like three hours, he was over there. I picked him up. He was completely fine. We came home, we lay down and took a nap together. He was completely fine. And then we went outside and he was sitting in my lap and he had just kind of been waking up and stuff and was sort of munching on some strawberries facing my mother. And, and then he just, he, he like passed out in my arms. And for me, I didn't even notice right away that he had like passed out. It felt more like he was just kind of dozing off a little bit, you know? And then my mom, I mean, I can't even remember what she said, but she's she was British and she's like, darling, give him to me. And she just took him and she is like running inside. And I was like, what's going on? She's like, call 911, call an ambulance. And she had him under the sink, throwing cold water onto his face and like kind of, you know, patting his face and stuff. And I'm on the phone and I still hadn't completely understood what the fuck had just happened. And it was absolutely terrifying. And then the ambulance came quickly. My mom kind of got him too. And I have never forgotten that moment and that feeling of fear. And for the next five years, I was always terrified. So for you to go through that in a much larger, grander scale of trauma, of anaphylactic shock, and like in an airport, I mean, my gosh. Airport is the best place to do it because they have true, I guess. an ambulance waiting at all times. That's <laughs> true. That's hey, fair. You're going to go into anaphylactic shock, do it in an airport or a hospital. <laughs> yeah. But just where it's like, where in the moments that you can't, I mean, I guess the airport's like, I mean, I'm always a little extra hypersensitive and aware of what's going on, but you know, it's just, you can't ever fully relax and in a sense your body's in this like hyper aware kind of like nervous state and so the fact that you you have acknowledged as you said like that is trauma and for your other child to because even though they're four and they may not fully understand what has just happened they understand and they remember 
And as, you know, children get older, they reflect back on these memories and then they do have more understanding. And that can be more terrifying when they've experienced something else traumatic, um, even if it wasn't something like that they remember. And when you reflect back. A lot of time working with him, like, so, you know, we were in the airport, we were on our way back to Houston where we lived at that time. And, um, you know, so we had like bags and, um, you know, they were on the plane. And so I went with my son into in the ambulance to the hospital and my husband was with our younger son. And so they went on the fire truck to the hospital. And so for a really long time, my son was very afraid of ambulances or in, and fire trucks. And we thought, well, this is dangerous. God forbid we have a fire. He's going to run from the firemen. So we spent a lot of time like visiting fire stations and getting to know firemen. So like there's things that you have to sort of do, but to your point, it doesn't really matter your certain experience of trauma. Trauma is trauma. Like whether it's your son having a fear seizure or another child breaking his arm, whatever your level of trauma is, it's still trauma. And it's okay to say, this was traumatic for me. My level of trauma may be more significant in your eyes, but it's still trauma. So whatever your level of trauma is, and it may be a normal childhood injury, um, you know, kids, in fact, I keep saying to my kids during this time, we cannot go to the ER right now. Stop flipping off the monkey bars. Like, don't break your arm. <laughs> like, and I'm sure moms of kids out there are all saying this across the United States. Like, no stitches, no broken bones right now. Yeah, I think I said on another episode, my stepdad came inside from like, he's like, I've been working outside and uh, he had been like clipping stuff. He's 90. And he's like, and then I decided that um, I ought to take a rest so that I don't have a heart attack. And I was like, um, yeah, you, you can't have a heart attack right now because we can't go to the emergency room. So chill out with your like outside chores. Yeah. So I'm saying that to my, to my father more than I'm saying it to my son. <laughs> well, and so anyone who lives with sort of a chronic illness that can go from totally fine to life-threatening in a matter of seconds lives what I like to call a healthy level of anxiety because you have to be vigilant. So instead of sort of hysterical, stressful anxiety, we need, you need to shift the mindset to vigilance. So you have to read labels. You have to be prepared. You have to just know what you're doing. So you have to be, you have to get teachers and caregivers that are outside yourself to be on board, to be inclusive, to be aware and that takes work and it doesn't ever stop. You know, when you go to a restaurant, think of how often you're eating. How often have you eaten today? And then on a normal, hopefully when we get back to whatever our new normal looks like, when you go to a restaurant, when you're ordering food and having to tell them everything you're allergic to and then trusting that they're going to do it correctly. If you're allergic to latex, are they using latex gloves? Then you can't eat there because latex is a powder that just off gases from the second it's done. And so latex is a little bit gross if you think about it. If you eat at a restaurant that uses latex gloves, you're eating latex. So there's a lot of just kind of vigilance, but you have to change your mindset to vigilance and prepare for the worst, but not plan for it. Don't plan for every day that your kid goes to school for them to have the worst reaction. Work with teachers to be inclusive and kind and make sure lunch is inclusive and kind and welcoming. Because when we don't work with our institutions like schools and basketball and scouting and drama clubs to be inclusive, our children miss out on one of the most important parts of school. It's really important to learn math and English and history, 
but it's where they get their sense of selves. It's where they get their, how to learn how to, you know, do lunch. You know, think about when you have jobs and go to happy hour and it's, it's how they learn social norms because they're going to learn it a little bit at home, but they're going to learn how to navigate, how to have conversations with people they don't see eye to eye with during lunch, at recess, in the hallways, at, you know, drama club, at football practice, at basketball, at rock climbing. So we need all these places to be inclusive. And it's not, it's not automatic. And it's not just inclusive for kids with food allergies. A lot of what I teach these different places is how to be inclusive with people of all different illnesses, abilities, you know, whether it's um, autism or ADHD or epilepsy, diabetes, or food allergies. If you lead with kindness and inclusion, you're going to welcome everyone and you're going to teach our kids that, you know, when they get that job the first time, so the person who's in the next cube or down the table, they're not going to be the same as them. And so this isn't, a, it's an important life skill. And by teaching our teachers how to be inclusive uh, and maybe remove some of the unnecessary food. You know, one of my favorite examples is when my son was learning the phases of the moon last year, his teacher was adamant that she needed to use Oreos. I was like, why? She's like, this is how I've always done it. Kids love it. It's super successful. I was like, that's great. So there's no other way to teach the phases of the moon. Like, I feel like I didn't have Oreos. I, I don't remember, but I feel like I, I did not have Oreos. I would have no. remembered that I love Oreos. Yeah. So I, you know, I went on Pinterest and I printed out literally five pages of different things she could do. And it was like styrofoam balls and t-shirts with glow paint and paper plates and construction. Like, so I found all these things. I was like, pick one. I will buy you the supplies you need. And she was like, oh, all right. And so part of it is it's easy to do it the way you've always done it. You know, and not that she's particularly lazy of a teacher, but maybe she just didn't feel like changing this lesson. And I know it's not easy. And I feel like our teachers and Lord knows they're being asked to do more and more each day. But if you approach schools and different clubs and activities with um, a level of partnership, which is what I like to do and say, how can I be of service to you? I find they do come on board a lot easier. Um, And how can we make lunch more inclusive? And when you have those tables of, you know, nut free or peanut free or dairy free, you actually end up having a higher instance research has shown of anaphylaxis because they set the school up for a false sense of security and, the other parents are not reading food labels the way food allergy parents, like we do better jobs than the FBI of reading food labels. So you end up having exclusive, you know, you leave the kids who have allergies, you know, out of social interactions, you set them up for bullying and you set them up to have an anaphylactic reaction. So I'm really, really against those kind of tables. They are just dangerous and don't serve our community well. Yeah. I think that, you make up you make a lot of really good points of it gives you that false sense of security um because you're like oh yeah everything's fine I feel um with all the COVID stuff going on is people are like well you should wear masks or you shouldn't wear masks going back and forth and one of the arguments that I've heard for not wearing masks is sometimes it gives you a false sense of security so then you would do things or go places that you really don't need to or maybe you shouldn't be at and so I do think it's interesting that by kind of focusing on inclusion versus putting that uh, false sense of security out there, we can actually make the world safer, that situation safer. And it just benefits everyone because then you're exposed to other people, other viewpoints, other experiences, which, I mean, as you mentioned, no one's the same. 
Right. So having that experience of the person sitting two cubicles down is going to be different from you is really, really important. The earlier you can learn that, the better. Yeah. And, you know, some things we recommend to keep everyone safe is, and, you know, it's, it's more popular now than it was six months ago, is everyone wash their hands constantly. Yep. You know, when they get to school, before snack, after snack, washing tables, washing surfaces, chairs, things like that. Um, you know, we teach little ones not to share food. Um, parents and teachers need to sort of harp that into younger kids. You know, so by the time that they're more independently eating lunches and, you know, later elementary school and middle and high school, that it's not even a thought. Like, you know, my kids are in second and fourth grade now, and it doesn't even occur to their classmates to share food now. But, you know, so preschool, kindergarten, first grade, like we really harp in no sharing food and things like that. Um, and, you know, remind people that and kids people eat differently for millions of different reasons, whether it's because they don't like something or there's a religious belief or just a family reason, you know, that, you know, they're vegetarian or vegan or it's a personal health. You just don't like it. Yeah. You know, just say you don't like it. One of the more challenging things that annoys me is people will go to restaurants and say they're allergic to something when they just don't like it. And then, you know, maybe it is accidentally in there and they eat it and they're fine. And then the restaurant sees that. So the next person who is mm-hmm. actually allergic becomes harmed because they're like another person who's, you know, quote unquote allergic. Yeah. yeah well, I've definitely seen that with like gluten. Mm-hmm. Because there are people that are truly allergic to gluten. They should not eat it. It does not sit well with them. And I think because for, for various health reasons, some people are choosing to not eat gluten and I think making it really clear of you're making a choice to not eat something versus like, no, you literally can't have this for health reasons is a really big difference. Yeah. There's a difference between, you know, not liking or choosing diet wise, not to have gluten or wheat versus being anaphylactically allergic to it and having a sensitivity mm-hmm. and a sensitivity. Why it's, it is important to note that it is, it does make you sick. It can give you, you know, gas pains and other digestive issues, um, or if you have, you know, other digestive illnesses that you can't process, you know, either gluten or, you know, some people have dairy or other, you know, foods that they can't process. An anaphylactic allergy is life-threatening, immediately life-threatening. So it's really important that those allergies are identified as allergies and sensitivities. Well, yes, we definitely do not want to eat those or people with celiac certainly cannot it's really important for people to make those differences. And if you are sensitive, you still really shouldn't eat them, but need to make the distinction that it's not going to kill you immediately. So, you know, I really appreciate that when people say I have a sensitivity and I cannot eat this, I will feel sick or I will be sick. Um, And certainly we don't want anyone to, you know, have any illness or, you know, make any other medical condition they have um, worse. My, my husband had some gut issues that if he eats dairy, he is not happy for several days. So we totally keep an eye on that. But, you know, we always identify that, you know, oh, he's, you know, he has a sensitivity to dairy and he is allergic to dairy. Um, yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, it's, that's a really good point. Like saying, you know, specifying and having worked in the food industry as a waitress and as a barista in the past, like I remember working at a coffee shop and um, a pregnant woman had ordered a decaf latte and like my coworker had put regular espresso shots in there. And I was like, no, 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 she needs decaf. And they were kind of like, they even going to notice. And I was like, she's pregnant. You know, she needs decaf. Yeah. Like 
what the F and, but it, and I know that that's like a totally different situation, but it's just a matter of caring and like having to just have that, um, that empathy and maybe even not just empathy, just awareness that whatever you have going on within you does not mean the person next to you has that same thing. So just be open that they're speaking their truth. If they're saying, I can't have caffeine or I can't have gluten or I can't have peppers or paprika. Like we all remember the freaking Mrs. Doubtfire movie when yeah. Robin Williams puts the paprika on his plate and he like has anaphylactic mm-hmm. essentially like reaction. I mean, I, at least I remember that being like, Oh, that happens to people. Yeah. And, um, yeah, in Montana, our neighbor had that one of the children had a peanut allergy. And that was the first time that I was exposed to someone having like a very severe allergy. And he was only probably eight or nine. My son was probably like three or something at the time. And it was really good for us to know because the kids would all be playing, you know, at the neighbor's houses. And we were doing a birthday thing. And I remember that the neighbor kid came over and said, We heard you were doing a birthday party can you get the cupcakes at Albertsons because they do it peanut free? And I was like, oh my gosh, like I had never, I, I didn't think about it. And so I, I went and got the cupcakes from the store that he, that they knew that it was safe for them to have so that he could take part, you know, in that. And so um, that was like something that again, reinforced me just understanding like the difference of an allergy and sensitivity and how we as a community, like you said, inclusion. And that was so simple for you to do, I'm sure. And it was not, that made a huge difference to that parent, to that Mm -hmm. kid. So they didn't have to miss out. Yeah. A lot of families will bring their own, you know, special cupcake or something. If it's, you know, like with my son, he has eight allergies. I never ask families to make his cake because it's a lot. But, you know, when parents have parties and invite him, which doesn't always happen because they just don't want to deal with it, that really hurts him. Mm-hmm. And then when they do invite him and they're like, how can I keep him safe? It makes it so gratifying that they want to include him and they want to make sure he's safe. And a lot of times, you know, when they do that, they'll ask, what can I make? And I'm just like, you know, what? I'll make it because there's no way you can do it correctly and safely. But just asking is such relief that I know they, that they really care and they really do want him there and to be included. That's awesome. Leah, you have so many resources for people that are taking care of someone with allergies or chronic illness. Um, just kind of keep that burnout. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about where they can find you and then what type of resources you have to help them live their best life all around? So you can follow me on at the Food Allergy Institute on Instagram. And then my website is foodallergyinstitute.com. And I have some one-on-one coaching available. And then we also have a course that's about to launch about just sort of advocating for yourself and your family. Um, and we'll have some more courses launching soon. If you have any you know, thoughts or ideas that you just want to run by me or just need something quick, have some questions, you can always direct message me on Instagram or um, email me. And that's again, it's on my website. I'm always available to just, you know, run down some things. I will have my ebook available free for your listeners only. Um, Yay, and thank you so much. <laughs> and that will be, there'll be a link on my website for that, that um, if you click on Unite Spoonies, that will be there on my website on the front page. Yay. Thank you so much. That's really exciting for our listeners. And we'll put that in the show notes for all of you too. Mm-hmm. Great. And yeah, Thank so, you so much for having me on. 
thank you so much for joining. Your your story is amazing. I am so inspired by the fact that you looked at what did you wish that you had had, the help that you wanted, and then you created it for yourself because it didn't exist. And I'm seeing that the more people we talk to, the that's kind of a pattern that there's mm-hmm. just there's something missing and someone's like, okay, fine, there, it doesn't exist. I'm going to create it myself. And Cassie and I absolutely love being able to talk to people like you that are creating amazing things because there are so many people out there that are struggling with taking care of a loved one that's sick. Having that, as you mentioned, kind of like constant anxiety of being in, of being super vigilant to make sure that their family is staying safe, that their loved ones are staying safe. And I mean, all that's a lot of work and you are doing an amazing job creating resources that help support people in that situation. So kudos to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to keep following you guys and stay in touch. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. And I wanted to add on there too, that as I was looking around your website, you have some amazing blog posts about anxiety and things related to that, because that, that clearly, like you said, you're living at some kind of constant little, maybe healthy dose of anxiety, but it is a problem. And I'm sure that anyone dealing with food allergies specifically, or children with chronic illness or loved ones, you have also like a constant um, measure of anxiety. And so you clearly have a lot of resources available and you guys should check out her website Mm -hmm. and take a look around and, um, be in touch. And again, thank you so much. This was really enlightening. Thanks so much. Have a great day guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please write us a review to help us reach more people like you. If you'd like to connect with Cassie and I, you can find us on Instagram at The Real Spoonies Unite. You can also join our private Facebook community, Spoonies Unite, or you can visit our website, therealspooniesunite.com, for all sorts of resources and to stay up to date with our current projects. And don't worry, you can find all of these links in the show notes below. Thank you to our wonderful Spoonie patrons for all your support, and you can become one too. That's right. All you have to do is go on over to patreon.com slash Unite, and you can get all sorts of extra goodies like videos of our episodes and more. Any support is greatly appreciated. It helps enable us to create more content for all of you, as well as make this podcast sound better and better. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be back in your ears soon.